and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 420. In 2021. Ooh. Our 250th episode based on uh, the uh, classic numbering. Legacy classic, numbering. So legacy numbering, but not including spinoffs and all that? Or? Yes, yes. Not in, not including spinoffs and in all the 399s. We're just looking at our first episode was 170, so... Oh shit! You're an eyes to. Oh yes. God, man! Not the Jesus show. It's ours. Yes, this Holy is our you and I that we st- our first episode was our first solo episode was 170. So this is our 250th solo you and I. And since we oh, took over man. the show, based on legacy, based, again, based on excuse me, legacy numbering. Wow, uh, that didn't even cross my mind that you were talking about just you and I. I was like. Oh yeah, I mean, even though we're at like episode four or something, like it's just like, it's just holy shit. And we did talk wow. about this at one point, but it was a while ago, so yeah, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so new year, new us. So well, we're gonna start off the first episode of 2021 with some listener feedback, and uh, hopefully us getting better at being on the ball with listener feedback inspires you guys to give us more listener feedback. So uh, our voicemail line is and always has been open for several years now. And that voicemail number, Mark, is 708-LANTERN. 708-LANTERN. Let us know what you think. It has a three-minute time limit, as does most Google voicemail numbers. Uh, However, we got a nine-second voicemail, uh, and we're going to play it here for you guys now. Uh, So uh, here we go. Chad, you ignorant slut. Happy New Year's to you, Mark, and the rest of the Lantern Corps. All right, nine seconds. In and out. <laughs> Cut to um, the chase. Don't play around. Just get quick in, quick out, retire. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to touch that. Shit. <laughs> uh, so, no, man. Uh, well, first of all, guys, when you call us on our voicemail line, we don't know who it's from. All it says uh, is a, it's a transcript, uh, you know, to to the uh, of the supposed message which doesn't really do um like for instance this says uh chad you a chad you ignorant lutz l-u-t-z 
and that's yeah. better than it usually gets. Yeah, better than it usually gets. And all it does is also tell us it's it's a new voicemail from, and then it gives us a number. And obviously, we're not going to read this guy's phone number out on the air. But um, when you leave us a voicemail, guys, tell us who the heck it's from, because basically, unless it's from someone whose voice we like seriously recognize, like Jim or Dan or Corwin, like we have no idea who it's from. So uh, let us know. Like, thank you so much, whoever that was. Thank you so much for sending us a voicemail. I'm not sure how I feel about the Chad, you ignorant slut thing <laughs> catching on, <laughs> but it means they're a loyal listener. Chad, appreciate it. Does. It. <laughs> it does. You know, you got to look at it that way. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. So, all right, whatever. Um, no, but uh, you know, I, you know, I was thinking uh, maybe this is probably like the worst time for us to, to to do this, but maybe we can like, I can introduce the question and then we can talk about it on a future episode. Mark, just just we'll throw it out there. What are what are your resolutions for the Lantern cast in 2021? If you have something now, throw it out. If you don't, we'll come up with something later on. But I was just I was just thinking about it the other day. Like there are resolutions that people have and, you know, resolutions in general, I think are a bad idea. But at the same time, it's a new year. And especially with the year that 2021 gave us, you know, if you're going to put some arbitrary marker on something to, to start something, you know, it doesn't really matter when you do it, but it, it, the new year is a good, is a good a time of any, but so many people make these personal resolutions, but what about like your, my professional resolution in terms of my workplace, where do I want to be at the end of the year? What about my personal resolution health wise? What about my podcast resolution? You know, so on and so forth. So uh, I was thinking about that. Like, I mean, you don't want to set yourself up for failure by having too many and too big of ones. But at the same time, What's the harm in splitting it up in the various ways you interact with your own life? Just something I was thinking about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you just kind of went off. It's like ah, you, you, threw, you, you, threw the, you threw the bar down. Pretty, you had the bar pretty low. And then it's like somehow and during the course of your waxing, it, it kind of went all the way up to the top. Well, it doesn't have to go up to the top. But, like, I'm just saying, like. Uh, you know, so I I want to one of the things and it, it is something small, but I'm going to mention this tweet I, I posted the other day. I said uh, I, so one of the gifts I got for Christmas uh, was a gift card to one of the local comic shops here in Austin, Austin Books and Comics. Now, they're not my LCS. Uh, that would be Bat City Comic Professionals. But um, they are one of the LCSs in town, Austin Books and Comics. And um I got a $25 gift card from my dad to go there, right? So I'm like, oh, I got to spend this specifically there. So I went over there and I was planning on using it on a bunch of back issues. But like I do every time, I just wanted to see what Green Lantern trades are in stock. Well, there was a hardcover there and it said Green Lantern, Green Arrow. And I saw the words Traveling Heroes and Denny O'Neill on the spine. And my mind immediately did something that it probably did when this damn thing was solicited. It went, oh, yet another collection, either softcover, hardcover, absolute, whatever, of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams run. It's not. It is the Green Lantern, Green Arrow run by Denny O'Neill and Mike Grell that started after Neil Adams left the title. It is Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Space Traveling Heroes. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show or not. And if I didn't, it was probably because my mind was like, oh, it's just yet another collection of, of the classic stuff. This stuff has the, the stuff with Mike Grell and Denny O'Neill that took place after the historic uh, launch of that run has never been collected ever. So this this hardcover, this $50 hardcover is the first time this has ever been in print. So the minute I realized that, of course, I had to put my, my $25 card towards knocking about half the price off of this thing. Um, 
but yeah, like, you know, I just want to get better at, I mean, obviously we don't really necessarily do like a segment, uh, Larfley's report anymore, but I have not been like on the ball with the, the, the stuff that's out there. Even like, so we talk about like the main titles, but we don't talk about like, and we don't, we, like, we don't have to do like reviews of the times that Green Lantern has just randomly appeared in certain issues, but we don't, at the very least we can talk about, Hey, by the way, it looks like Green Lantern is appearing could be for a page, could be for half the story, who knows, and blah, blah, blah issue. Uh, we kind of sort of trailed off on that. So I think that would be cool. Just pay a little bit more attention. It, it, I, don't, I don't think we can be Blogavoa. I don't think we can do what Myron does because he is, he must have like a dozen keywords set up to Google notify him the minute something goes live because I don't know how he stays so on the ball with this stuff, but I'd like to do a little better at it. And that's just, honestly, that's just a resolution to quote unquote, pay more attention. So like that's just that's just an idea I had. Oh God, uh, I'm not going to be that. Actually, maybe I'm maybe in a way I'm more idealistic here, uh, or but it's also simplistic. I I my goal my goal for this year is that I would like I would like, but at least by the time we get to at least the halfway point of this year to feel like the material that we're that we're dealing with is enjoyable, <laughs> and that we're enjoying looking forward to doing issue reviews which we really have not been for the most part. We haven't far sectors about the only thing that kind of like skirts through when that's about to end. But the reality is we really haven't enjoyed doing a lot of issue current issue reviews in a while. So I would really like to not have another year and hope that this year is going to be better as far as the material and our feelings and enthusiasm towards and for the material. That's the only thing that popped into my head just because if we have another year like we did, it's going to, I don't know. <laughs> it's getting old, man. <laughs> no, so like, dude, that's honestly, and I'm not, I'm not like, you know, faking enthusiasm just for content, but that's a seriously a, a great one because that one can come in many different facets. I mean, that can come in terms of what we choose to do recordings on that can come in. Even if we're reviewing content, we don't like just choosing only to talk about the positive stuff that can come in uh, more different types of reviews in terms of, you know, you, you personally really love movies. There are other comics I really like. We could have, I know you don't like the term like, uh, you know, comic talk episodes or geek talk or whatever, but like, you know, something along those lines, we can, we, th- that particular type of resolution can be achieved in a number of different facets. So, I mean, it's really up to us how we approach the content that we want to cover uh, and the way in which we cover it. So that's, I mean, that's, just, it's, it's a big lofty goal, but there are so many ways to achieve it that, you know, why not give it a shot? Oh, I agree. It's just that obviously we, I, I don't want it. And probably the listeners, it's the three of you that are out there. Out there, that probably the listeners don't want it either. That that the the way we end up achieving that is by basically ignoring everything that's currently going on in the books. <laughs> no, 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 we don't no, we don't want we don't want that to be the case just because it doesn't. It, but so I'm just hoping that yes, the at least the that the new the newer material, the current material, at least is interesting and we have more enthusiasm for it than we've had. And then you sprinkle in the stuff that we like to do and the old and Silver Age reviews and other issues, reviews and different topics we still haven't covered that we've talked about, at least internally, that a nice, healthy balance between our person, our own individual interests, the stuff we do, for the main thrust of the show, the core of the core 
uh, for the show. And then, um, so that's pretty, that's pretty much what I was thinking. Makes a hundred percent sense to me. And speaking of covering new material, what are we talking about tonight? Wonder Woman 1984, which is interesting because it's one of those, even though a lot of people have clearly seen this movie is what it is. It is a unique for us anyway. Now, if we had recorded it like a few weeks ago, it would have been more timely, but it's still unique in the sense that it is a movie that obviously not, not everybody's gotten to see and certainly not in the percentage that many people would have previously since very few theaters are actually open and not everybody has HBO max. So it's on HBO max currently to what, but January 24th, I believe that's the cutoff date for wonder woman, 1984. If you have HBO max or planning on getting it in before it leaves for however long it's going to actually be gone, you only have until January 24th. And then that's why that doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's, it's their content. I think that I think because it's the same, I believe it's the same basic template that they're going to be using for the movies they're releasing, the 2021 releases that's only on HBO max. It's on HBO max and in theaters at the same time for like a month, then it gets yanked off of HBO max. So theaters technically have it exclusively. For a month, at least as far as the 2021 releases. So I'm kind of working under the belief that that same agreement or formula is what they're using for Wonder, Mo- Wonder Woman, which is inherently stupid, mind you, because the majority of business theaters always get out of movies or within the first month, even if everything was open. It might it might have longer legs for the theaters that are actually open now because there's literally nothing to watch. So you could play a movie like the old days. This could on this level it could be like the 70s, where if you have one movie. You have a movie that people show any kind of interest and you can play it for two to three months because there's literally nothing else that's going to bump it off the screen, especially if you have any kind of multiplex. But I think that that is how they're doing the 2021 releases on HBO Max. And I and I think that's probably the same formula that they're using for Wonder Woman. But I know on one level, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. But yes, so Wonder Woman basically is going to be on for a month since it came out on Christmas Day, which I also thought was interesting because unlike the normal releases on Disney plus and or Netflix that it's not like basically once it hits midnight on the West coast, three o'clock Eastern, that this, some, this thing becomes available. I think it was like noon or one o'clock Eastern. It became available on Christmas day, which was a little odd. It's certainly not the normal formula. So I thought, I thought that was, I thought that was interesting too, as a side note for it's based on their form on their, the formula that they use to roll this thing out. Well, I mean, speaking of the film and rolling out and everything, like with all movie episodes, you're the movie guy, man. Where do you want to start? You want to start box? I mean, quote unquote box office. How does it perform? Reviews, our thoughts. What? Let's let's do our our general thoughts on it. Then we can, and that will include us basically talking about the plot of the movie. Uh, but um, which do you want me to do that? You want to do? The yeah, man, go plot? ahead. Uh, so. Uh, as we know from you know all the trailers and obviously based on the title, the movie is you know, set in 1984, and we know again most based on the, on the trailers, Pedro Pascal is Maxwell Lord. He's been coveting, though they don't quite tell you. One of the things we can talk about how and how and why he even knows about this, but but this artifact, this the Dreamstone, which pretty much you know grants everybody their their greatest wish. Anything you really wish for, uh, it'll it'll grant. Of course, like in most cautionary tales, it also takes something from you in the process. And he wants that, you know, he wants to be a success. He doesn't want to be a loser. He wants to be a he wants to make his son proud of him. All this stuff. And then you know, everybody else who comes into the con comes into contact with the Dreamstone innocently because nobody at first believe you know really believes that it's true, and they make their wishes just at a 
the way you know just like on a wishbone or something that you really don't think anything's going to happen but but obviously diana diana wishes you know for steve trevor to come back though we don't actually never we don't actually know how she phrased that wish which might have been helpful based on the movie that we got and Kristen wig as uh minerva there what, what was her first name barbara right yeah, Barbara, Barbara, and then uh, yeah, Cheetah. Yeah, Later. that uh, you know, she basically wishes to be like Diana, which of course has extra side effects because she doesn't know Diana's Wonder Woman. And then it's just kind, of, and then basically, more Maxwell Lord wants more and more power, and he figures, and he his wish is to become the Dreamstone. So he kind of does the trick, which is kind of clever actually, because he does. Then he de- get, then he keeps getting things for himself because he grants everybody else their wish, but then he personally decides what he's taking from the people who uh, whose wish that he grants. And it basically ends up with him basically having powers of the president and then the whole world's about to go to shit. And then, of course, uh, Diana basically appeals to uh, her appeal to him doesn't really work by itself until the very end. But her appeal to the rest of the world to, to take to you know, resend their wishes and everything to, to or else because supposedly the world's what's going to everything is going to go to pot unless everybody takes back their wish, which is something else, which is questionable. But that's basically that's basically the plot of Wonder Woman. Of Wonder Woman 1984. I thought I thought it was okay. I'm speaking as somebody who didn't. I liked the first one. Uh, I did not love the first one. I thought it was the most Marvel-like DC EU movie we've gotten, which is probably one of the reasons they got the best overall reviews. Certainly one of the movies that got critically that got the best reviews in the DC EU. I did like it. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was anything super special, other than the fact that it felt Marvel-like. It's like how it felt about Black Panther. I think it was really good, but I think because of who the main character was and what in in what it and who and what it represented, that some people kind of like put it a little more on a pedestal based on the actual content that we got, as opposed to just judging the movie, you know, by it, its merits on you know the script and everything else. I like by, by cinematic standards. Yeah, by exactly that was better, nicely put. Yes, by cinematic standards, I thought both Wonder Woman and Black Panther were raised to a different level. And then especially once you watch Black Panther again and, and actually I should have watched Wonder Woman again before I watched Wonder Woman 84, at least one of the two times I, I didn't, but I liked it. I didn't think, I didn't think it was great. I think it definitely is a better overall movie than, than Wonder Woman 84. I think Wonder Woman 84 has some serious pacing issues. I don't think it's as bad as some people have made it out to be. But that doesn't mean that I don't see what, where they're coming from with it. There certainly are things plot wise that are questionable in the movie and worth questioning. And, and again, like I said, pacing the movie is really I mean, the movie did not need to be two and a half hours long. Uh, that is really long for this movie. I definitely don't think it was. They definitely could have cut out parts of this movie and tightened it up. I, I enjoyed it. I can see why. But I can absolutely see why a, a large percentage of people are disappointed with it or thought it didn't measure up either based on expectation or based on just uh, compared to the first. So those were my general thoughts. Uh, so, I mean, you know, honestly, on the second watch through, which I did in preparation for this episode, I liked it more than I liked it uh, the first time I watched it. I did, too. Um, I think some of the fan outrage and there's always fan outrage is sort of unfounded. One of the ones just to throw it out as an example are people saying, you know, it's bullshit that Steve Trevor would be able to handle a jet that quickly, a pilot from the early 
yeah, you know, 30s or you know whatever. 1917 uh, from, though, he's a World War One pilot. Well, yeah, World War One. Sorry. And, 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 uh, and, and, and yeah, in the DCEU verse, not like how we usually think of Steve Trevor as a World War Two guy. This yeah, in the, in yeah, the, yeah. Sorry. Uh, so it, they think it's ridiculous and and completely unbelievable how a World War One era pilot would be able to just man just within moments pick up how a jet uh, in 1984 works. But you're watching a movie where a dude becomes a wish stone and a woman uh, is from a myth. Uh, Amazon people with superpowers, a woman turns into a friggin' cheetah. Like, can you shut the fuck up? <laughs> like, you're just you're just looking for stuff now. Like, come on, that, just let that kind of crap go. Uh, and quite honestly, there's a lot of spectacle in this. There's a lot of enjoyment. Um, and I don't mean just by. Uh, a viewer standpoint but by the characters in the film why can't people out there just enjoy this film for what it is much the same way steve trevor enjoys the future that he finds himself in him his delight over an escalator or modern art or breakdancing or seeing the fireworks or i mean and so on and so forth pop tarts yeah, Pop Tarts. Tarts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not once does Steve Trevor go, well, that doesn't make sense, or that's crazy, or why the hell does that work? That doesn't, you know, like, not once does he criticize any of that or go, how does this even work? It doesn't make sense. He just goes, oh shit, that's possible. Wow. Like, can you guys just watch a freaking movie and be like, oh shit, wow. Wonder Woman uses her freaking lasso to Spider Man across lightning bolts. Does it have to make sense? No. Did it look cool as fuck? Yes. So shut up and just watch the movie. Now, that being said, I see some of the criticism, like Cheetah's uh, end evolution with the CGI. I see some of the criticism in terms of uh, uh, Maxwell Lord's abilities and what they did with that. And I don't really necessarily have a problem with Pedro Pascal's performance. I think he did what he could with what he was given. I just don't know that what he was given was the right move for it. But who knows? Um, entrepreneurial businessman. So I, I, I kind of get that. Uh, that all makes I think he did the best with what he could what he had now. But like, you know, I, I really uh, some other things I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed how smart Diana is. And, you know, like part of that is because she's been in man's world for so long. But also part of that is because, you know, Themis on Themyscira, not only do they teach, you know, the Amazons, the, the, the warrior ways, but there's so much philosophy and history and, uh, and, and just learning that takes place in that culture that, you know, that she just embodies all that her culture is not just the warrior race, but like the intelligence and all the stuff that she was taught. Now she spent so much time in man's world, absorbing that information. And the fact that she works at the museum and it's not just a cover or anything, it's just, it's, it's a part of who she is. Um, there's a lot of kind of female empowerment to this film, which there has to be, there should be uh, wonder woman is a fantastic character for that. Uh, one of the things, so this kind of brings me to some of the things I, I, I don't necessarily like about it. And this is more stuff I wish it did rather than stuff it did that I wish I, it didn't. I wish, you know, one of the things I really liked about the character of Wonder Woman, especially when you see her in other media like like comics, but also like she said it a lot in the Justice League, Justice League Unlimited uh, animated series. When Wonder Woman refers to like little girls as little sister or 
talks to other women as sister uh, refers to him in that way. I wish there was more of that, especially with that little girl at the, in the beginning sequence. Now I think that moment was a little cheesy. That girl's wink was like super badly acted, you know, so on and so forth. But as a child, you can kind of excuse for it, whatever. Um, but like just referring her to his, all right, hold on little sister. As she throws her down the, down the, the, the side of the floor into the teddy bear, uh, something like that. Another thing I didn't like was how much of a, love story was here now i'm not saying that she has to be all warrior all the time but what was interesting to me about the first wonder woman movie was they made her a strong warrior woman who was going to kick a lot of ass and and really subvert expectations and all this stuff but who just so happened to fall in love throughout that process if they didn't as as big of a part i mean He's he's one of the main characters. They have to make it a big part of the plot. But it it felt like a almost like a close to a C plot, her falling in love with Steve. The rest of it was just absorbing man's world and understanding what's going on and you know, all this sort of stuff. There was almost too much of a love story in this one. Now the man that she lost and loved came back. I, I completely understand all that. But I think there was a way to do that without making it such a love story. And also one of the consequences of Diana's wish is that she loses her power. So I can see a lot of, this is not a criticism of me, but I can immediately just in, in that scenario, see a lot of criticism from hardcore feminists out there going, how dare you make this icon of, of female empowerment fall in love and lose her power and almost kind of, kind of so, uh, in this, in was it? I think it was the '60s when Denny O'Neill wrote the character of Wonder Woman. He depowered her and made her basically a. Uh, I think it was the '70s because I'm I'm remembering the art style in my head. He depowered her and made her like uh, a kung fu kind of chick, and he never stopped catching hell from it <laughs> because he took this feminist icon and just dropped her down to you know, a, a spinster essentially. Uh, and uh, there was, if you watch a lot of documentaries where he mentions it, he, he says it's his eternal shame. Denny O'Neill does, but that's almost not even halfway, but it, it's sort of what they did here. You know, they depowered her and made it more, not all, but more about the love story. And I can see a lot of people having a problem with it. It bothered me a little bit. I tune in for the, for the badass Amazon. Uh, and it seemed like we didn't get as much as the badass Amazon that we did in the first movie. And we'll, and we'll, and we'll talk when we get to the overall, some of the cr- criticism or things that have come out about this movie post release. I do want to talk more about that. I think, I think that's where when you're talking about Steve and, and Diana, I think that's where we would have benefited. The story would have benefited if we actually know what she wished for how she phrased it um because you know if she was saying oh I'll, you know i'll give up you know i'll give i'll i'd give up anything to have steve back or you know nothing matter you know nothing else that matters to me you know so, something which opens the door real easily so it's like ah kind of like the you know you know the you know it's kind of like if you were making the deal with the devil it's like ah so you open that door for me nicely so now i'm going to i will take your powers away because you because you opened the door you, you said you'd give up anything yeah, I, I th- there was a lot of criticism about that, and I think it's I think it's legitimate, especially because in a way she like kind of 
it's really subtle well not subtle but it's a it's only said like once but it's like she almost comes across as a whiner when she's making it something oh she's never you know considering everything she has going for her and how and her entire life that she's never had any any happiness in her life other than being with steve and and that's like the the the, you know, the only thing that you know the only thing that really made her happy and she's not willing to give it up it's like it's sweet on one level but it's a little i could see why that would bother people with everything that she's had experienced in her life i understand it's the classic example you don't know what you have till it's gone i do get that but i could see why that why that would that would bother people um uh, the one one thing i did like about the depowering which i didn't like overall is that the first time you really got the hint of that which was subtle was when she was trying to open that lock in the garage and it didn't open and at first even steve makes that comment wow like a tough that's a really tough lock or whatever he says and then you don't because you don't quite realize why she's having this trouble doing that but then you're Steve because he's just enamored of the future. So he thinks steals. Right. Yes. Better. Yes. For, for Steve, all the, the, the only reference point for Steve is knowing how strong she is. But again, you're like 70 years in the future. So the reality is uh, technology that it's possible that maybe they have built things that are that are significantly stronger, where she's going to have to pick, put a little more effort into. It. But it's something that by itself, I, I thought that was I thought that was handled well, obviously, as it goes as it goes on. We, you know, becomes perfectly clear that they were, they were a little consistent on, you know, when she's what she's still able to do and what she's not, even when her powers are, are weakening. So I did like this. I did like the lock thing. And also, it's kind of interesting that because Gal Gadot's so attractive that even when they make even when she's obviously they're making her up perfect, perfect on, you know, perfectly to be not perfect, basically on purposely to look like crap because she's because she's weakening and she's and she's physically not well that she's still so beautiful it's still she still looks good <laughs> facially i was like oh they're trying to make her look worn and beaten and, and tired and weak but it's like it doesn't really she, she can pull that off well um but go ahead i wanted to interject that i didn't want to steal all your thunder no i mean that's i mean in, in terms of basic thoughts that's I, I i was starting to get more into specifics of the film so i think that was probably a good spot for me to leave off it's just there was a lot for me to just enjoy the spectacle of the film. Um, the score was pretty great. The I really like the vibrant colors. I mean, setting it in the 80s really um, really helps to um, show off those vibrant colors. Uh, you know, just to sort of amplify it because it's a colorful era. So why the hell not? Um, but I think uh, overall. Uh, I again, like I said, I enjoyed it more on the second viewing than it on the first. It's just if you can take yourself out of it uh, and just enjoy it for the movie that it is, it's a it's a good movie. I think I think it's it kind of the way we used to, especially you, Mark, used to describe the Robert Venditti's stories. You know, he's got a lot of great setup and a lot of great moments, but the ending sort of, you know, it, did, it didn't crash and burn, but it didn't it didn't really hit the crescendo the way it should. Um, I feel like that's probably a valid criticism to put on this movie. It didn't really punch at the end. No, I think, I think that's true. And that's why there, you know, I'll, I'll roll into this in a few comparing it in aspects of similarities and differences between this and the first based on what I, obviously what I remember of the first two, but you know, some of the other things, the general criticism, this movie has gotten, you meant, you mentioned the pilot, Steve stuff. Uh, obviously, you also kind of mentioned the cheesy, there was the cheesiness of the of the mall scene. You mentioned one part of it, but there's a lot, of, a lot. There was a lot of criticism, whether you people agree with it or not, about that there was a cartoony aspect to this movie. Uh, 
And the mall scene, I guess, could probably symbolize that probably the best. But there's a certain aspect of that, which also goes along with the pacing, that there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of action in this movie. And uh, other, I mean, obviously the huge, a huge criticism is the whole idea of how Steve comes back. And I don't mean because of the wish, but because it's not like Steve Trevor just comes back in his own body. He's, he's in somebody else's body who, besides the fact that she proceeds to have sex with that body, which most, yes, you can make the joke, but oh, any guy would sign for that, even if they weren't conscious, but still the reality is we know if the shoe were shoes or the shoes were on the other foot feet, that the reality is that would be, that would never fly in a million years. If you tried to do something like that, where, you know, hit, some, you know, like Lois Lane came back in another woman's body and Superman had sex with her. It's like, yeah, that wouldn't fly. So there is a little there is a problem with that. And not just the, you know, not just the whole sexual aspect of it. The fact that they literally put this person, this 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 dude who's a real person. They put it they put his body in mortal harm throughout the entire movie. <laughs> uh, so I again, maybe if we had gotten, maybe some of that would have been alleviated. Maybe if we would have known what her wish was, though, I don't think that aspect of it probably would have been because there's still that, that whole, you know, what, what happened to the consciousness of the guy who's basically Steve just took over his body. That's kind of, that's, that, that was a major criticism, I think of, of people, um, as far as things that happened in the movie, obviously, as we also know, which you could take to the bank, you could like, it was a given that because there's more criticism of Wonder Woman 84 than Wonder Woman, then of course you have, you know, right on cue, you can, you can start listening to the people who say, Oh, it's sexist that they don't like Wonder Woman 1984, which of course makes no goddamn sense at all because the same people, especially critics liked Wonder Woman. So if they're sexist, what do they just alternate movies? Every, every other movie, we're going to be sexist, but we're not going to be sexist all the time. That doesn't make any sense. And the, of course, the myth that, oh, critics just hate DC movies so much. So that's the reason why they they, they, did, they didn't give this a positive review, even though there's a bunch of DC EU movies that do have positive critic scores. And, of course, that's not even counting, you know, the Nolan trilogy and going back to previous versions of DC movies. It's not just, you know, most of the movies that have gotten crappy scores probably critics in the DCEU or what most mostly are movies that fans don't think are particularly good either. I guess Joker is kind of questionable is a, is a one that's up in the air since fans, I think really still like Joker, but the critical score on Joker, certainly from a rotten tomato perspective, dropped like a rock after that movie came out similar and a similar uh, like chain reaction to what happened with Wonder Woman 84. The fact that the critic scores were pretty good on Wonder Woman 84 until it actually came out and then boom, uh, the critic score just has been going down and down and down. But most of the movies that had bad DCEU scores are movies people know are not particularly good, whether it's Justice League or especially BVS and Suicide Squad and things like that. So it's the conspiracy doesn't really hold water when other movies, speaking of holding water, like Aquaman and Shazam and things like that have gotten good critical reviews. It's like, could there be one or two critics that, oh, it's like everybody, it's possible that individuals have agendas. Yes, I, I don't believe in this grand uh, critical conspiracy to let this bash DC EU movies. I don't, I've never bought that. I don't think the evidence, I don't think the evidence supports that regardless. Um, uh, regard, for me, regarding the general, I found this interesting that, there, I mean, there was this interview with, with uh, Patty Jenkins, which some people thought she assumed or thought she was talking about WB when she when there's actually she wasn't talking about, oh, that basically a lot of studios wanted just to or studios just didn't want to didn't want to listen to her 
or didn't care about her creative direction about projects. They just basically wanted her to be a face or a beard so they can say, hey, we hired a female director, but guess what? We really don't care what you want to bring to the project. And some people thought she was talking about WB when the reality seems to be, for the most part, the opposite, that she's had a lot of say in what's gone into the Wonder Woman movies. In fact, before I go off and finish that thought, the when you think about it, if she was talking about any major studio, it would make more sense for it to be Marvel, since she was the one who was supposed to do Thor Dark World. And she's just reiterated over the years that she left Thor Dark World because the script was so bad. So it would make more sense that Marvel, that, I mean, I'm not saying Marvel did this to her. I'm just saying based on the two studios, Marvel would make more sense for that description to be true, since she clearly didn't like the direction of that movie. And if they weren't going to let her change it then maybe that's why she just said, well, I'm not doing this because I know it's crap. (laughs) But supposedly, supposedly, and you haven't heard anything yet to contradict this, though you could, that we all, one of my big pet peeves when we talk about the movies, that people really seem to buy into this axiom that studios are always wrong, that basically it's like this combination of these three things, that that studio, studio interference or involvement is always wrong, a movie would always be better if the, if the director would just get to do what he or she wanted. And if the stu- and if the, the movie's a hit, the studio really has nothing to do with it other than putting up the finances for it. Now, there are examples where all, all of those are probably true, and maybe sometimes all three are true in, in, in a single project. But it's not like it's a law that all of these things are true all the time. And what's interesting is that, you know, supposedly that Patty Jenkins had a lot of control, a lot of control over Wonder Woman 1984. And in fact, almost a lot of the cr- criticisms that have been coming out about the pacing and about like the, whether you're a big fan of that opening sequence on Paradise Island or not, or the, uh, whether you like that mall sequence or you don't, the lack of action in the movie, that a lot of the criticisms that have been leveled at this movie supposedly are criticisms that WB had themselves with this movie and not just when it was put together, but even when the dailies were coming in and they got to see more and more of the assembled movie that they had issues with all, been pretty much all the major points that p- people have picked up on. I don't know if the rapey Steve thing was in particular. I don't remember in, in that article if they mentioned that in particular. They may Somebody probably did, though, because it's kind of hard not to think that they, somebody wouldn't be a little concerned about that angle. But either way, the major criticisms about this movie, WB had those, had those concerns, too, and they brought them to Patty Jenkins, and she pretty much just said, hey, just trust me, it'll work out. So we don't know if that's true, but it's interesting that if, if that if even part of that is true or half of that's true, then that is a nice example of where st- the studio kind of realized what was going on. But they acquiesced to the to the creative vision of a director and it didn't work out. Just like supposedly when you talk when you say you wanted it's like you like the warrior Wonder Woman, where there's a lot there's a lot of belief, at least whether it's true or not, that that's not how Patty Jenkins sees Wonder Woman that she doesn't see her primarily as a warrior first and foremost. And that because even the big action, the the quote unquote big action sequence we got at the end of the original movie supposedly was only in there because the studio insisted on it, that she really didn't want that in that she didn't didn't think it really needed that big action sequence. So it doesn't seem like she is really big on, at least when it comes to Wonder Woman, can't say that's the way her, she envisions all movies not needing big action sequences or big final act action sequences but she does but at least there's a a good amount of circumstantial evidence to to suggest she doesn't believe that wonder woman her vision of wonder woman needs that and i guess and that could 
potentially a problem when you have a movie like this that really does not i mean you have some action sequences but there's not but they're pretty quick and there's not a lot of them it they're they're, they're spread out fairly well i would say that what you do have if you count you know if you count the especially if you count the paradise island thing in the beginning the prologue basically as an action sequence in the mall and you know when they go to egypt and of course the white house and the, the cheetah stuff was pretty lame and I, I, and it does kind of fall into the what it opened the door for the criticism of the CGI, because that's that's kind of like the old bastion of like, oh, if you don't think your CGI is good, make it dark and make it occur at night. <laughs> yeah, I just so I think another thing that uh, this this movie sort of suffers from speaking of Cheetah is something I think uh, a criticism that's been leveled, I think, against marvel movies as well or just superhero movies in general but i know that for sure people have criticized marvel movies of this uh how they treat their villains in terms of either killing them off or making them irrelevant by the end of the film that they were introduced in uh because that happened in this film cheetah only gets her powers from a wish a wish that is rebuffed later on so are we going to get Cheetah again in the future? Can we get Cheetah again in the future? How? How would it make sense? Like, um, again, I mean, the, 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 I, I say that in the same episode that I say, you know, hi, guys, just suspend belief. You're watching a movie about blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, it's a valid point. Like, you, you, you keep introducing these villains only to take them off the table by the end of the same movie they're introduced in. So what's next uh wonder woman has a good stable of of villains uh it's just that they're not as well known as like superman or batmans or or whatever her the 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 regular rogues gallery that everybody seems to be able to name off the tip of their tongue uh she has some decent villains in her lineup not just cheetah but it's just you know the two you got cheetah and then you have Maxwell Lord in there because of the controversy during, I think it was Final Crisis, when she snapped his neck. So, like, you got those two things. Uh, was it the Final Crisis or Infinite Crisis? I was going to say, I think it's Infinite Crisis. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I, my, my mind went, Infinite Crisis, the minute I said that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, those are, when you think villains or somebody for Wonder Woman to interact with that ha- could have a big effect, you, you just threw two of her biggest in, in the one film. And kind of took both of them off the table by the end of it. Um, so, so what's next? You know, Wonder Woman three is supposedly being fast tracked. What's next? The thing that I, I mean, the thing that's intro. One of the things I did like about this, and it's, now you, you have yet that you have yet to watch Cobra Kai yet, correct? Yeah, I don't st- have really a, a big connection to that franchise. You haven't started it, and you haven't finished The Mandalorian, by the way, yet, have you? I, I have. You have okay, good. So we can talk about that soon. Uh, probably not in an, an entire episode. Probably we'll just do it as a segment. Uh, one of the things that I did like in Wonder Woman 1984 that ironically, so maybe because you, you, they try to do too much of it, I think in Cobra Kai, is they has they really go out of your way to try to give you to humanize villains, which on many levels, I oftentimes works. Not always oftentimes it works because sometimes there's a time there's a place for somebody who's just bad because the reality is that's more realistic that there are people out there who are just bad not redeemable either by their actions and or by you know what's ma- their makeup they're making everybody shades of gray that just basically the, you know there's like 10 percent that can go either way that determine which side of the the light or the dark that you embrace i liked in this movie that you know that they made both barbara and max both had that they were not really horrible people certainly barbara wasn't 
but even Max had, you know, they were, you know, the, you obviously, they give you a full background on Max, you know, like via flashback things towards the end that you get to see how crappy Max Lord's life was. And, you know, in his, in his desire, legitimate desire to, you know, to be a success and have a better life and to, and to make, you know, and basically make his, make his son proud of him because essentially he just lived, he just grew up, you know, being treated horribly and having a horrible self-image. I liked that they, I liked that they, I think it works in this movie. I think it worked better than having, you know, the mustache twirling kind of villain making Max Lord. I do think it's, I guess they could, we don't know what, if they, if they're going to revisit either of these two, one of the things that's really shaky about the whole movie to me is why the, based on that whole idea, why did everybody have to uh, renounce their wish? I mean, because obviously we know this Dreamstone had been around forever because you keep hearing all these horror stories about th- things that it did. So obviously you get the idea that at the end of the day, the longer the Dreamstone hangs around and the more important people basically have it or have access to it, more and more bad things happen. But obviously the world hadn't ended before. So why did everybody in the world have to renounce their wish as opposed to just the people that really started it to go go to pot? Now, we know Max renounces his wish. We don't see Barbara renounce her wish. She goes back to human, but that's because that's because basically Max essentially gave her a second wish. Max, you know, Max, you know, Max, but technically, technically Max gave Max only gave her one wish because the actual Dreamstone gave her the first wish. But Max basically said, oh, I'm, I'm feeling generous. And even though you made a wish, all, uh, uh, which is interesting that, you know, the fact that they kind of play with that, that you could actually do something like that. But maybe that's the out. Maybe that's the main out with her is because technically she never got a wish directly through him as the Dreamstone the first time. But we don't actually see her renounce her wish. We just assume <laughs> that she does because everybody else is. That's true. Uh, but again, I guess it's if you really, I guess it comes down to if you really believe everybody had to renounce their wish or the world was not going to be safe, which I guess I don't quite necessarily ever bought. It didn't, it didn't seem like, it only seemed like the world, I mean, the, the, I don't, any kind of world extinction level threat, it only got worse as you start going up to higher and higher people who have more and more power and the repercussions of their, of their wishes. But, yeah. but, so you could see you could see Barbara again. I mean, because the reality is, if they're not going to give her some of Diana's powers, there's no way if they're going to make this movie get, getting close, like 20 years in, in the future, that obviously the character of Barbara would be way too old to use it. As far and, and, and unless she's going to somehow get 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 powers, then and I guess and then maybe you could work work around it because I guess I guess in 20 years time, I guess Barbara would only be like in her early 50s, maybe. I guess you could do something like that. I, I don't I don't know what they're going to do with Wonder Woman with the third one. Obviously, there's I think some of the enthusiasm for the third movie took took a hit on this. There's some talk. of You know, we may have to see what happens with, you know, with with the Flash, quote unquote, Flashpoint movie. If that's actually still going to be the major plot of what's going on in the Flash movie. If that has any effect, triple effect on what and what they're going to do as far as characters are going to bring back or, or modifications of things that we've seen. But I agree. I, I, I mean, I, I, I guess the, the funniest, the worst criticism that I heard about this movie, and I think you'll appreciate this if you didn't hear it, that somebody actually made a criticism. They said, Maxwell Lord has an Asian son. And why? Which, first of all, he's not. He's Hispanic. I never once saw the kid and thought he was Asian. Not that there would be a problem if he was had an Asian kid, because that would just mean that his wife was Asian. <laughs> but it's like his ex-wife, because obviously they're, they're separated. That, And I'm thinking to myself, that's freaking 
it's that's one of the most stupid criticisms I've ever heard in my life. Because I guess it's also people who I guess don't realize because of the some the basically like the common roots of some of the, of the people in Asia, in North America, in South America that. You know, there's a lot of people who Native Americans, there's a lot of similarities and features. You don't always know if someone's Native American, Asian or Hispanic. So it, I just thought that was really, really, really funny. Or maybe they weren't paying attention to when they made it clear in the movie that Maxwell Lord himself was Hispanic. Uh, so I besides the fact that obviously Pedro Pascal is and he's playing him, but they make it clear the character, you know, you know, Lord isn't really his you know, true last name. So I just thought that was that 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 talk about, you know, ridiculous criticism. I thought that was I thought that was that was the one that made me laugh the most. It's like, wow, people are really, really trying too hard to fight criticism. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Anything else? No, man. I you know, I I don't really have anything else anything else on it. It's like I said, uh it got better with the second watch. I was able I knew what was coming. I was able to just appreciate it for what it was and kind of just take in the spectacle. Um it was it was good to see. Um Made me almost wish I got that uh, Funko Pop of her uh, lassoing across the lightning. <laughs> now, did you then did you think the opening sequence worked or do you think that was a lot? That was let me phrase it more clearly. Do you think the amount of time, like the 10 minutes plus or whatever of film time was worth was worth that one little payoff of the line that she used, which probably still could have been somewhat effective, even if we hadn't seen that scene? <laughs> Yes, I, uh, I I enjoyed it. I enjoy seeing the mascara. I enjoy seeing those actresses back again. I enjoy seeing the culture that she comes from. Um, I you know I, I think it's also you know very interesting and and true that the um that the lessons that we learn uh, that w- as we grow up aren't one time lessons. We learn them over and over and over again in different situations as we you know in, encounter our lives you know different stages of our lives and i think it's really cool that you know you sit there and you watch that sequence and you see diana throwing a fit because she really wanted this thing um and uh her aunt's telling her you know you cheated you you have to do things the right way you have you know the the importance of truth and integrity and so on and so forth and you know you watch that and you go ah you know that of course a child needs to be taught this but then you look at this essentially immortal being who even if she wasn't uh you know fully immortal and been around for thousands if hundreds or if not thousands of years you go wow now she's been in man's world for 80 plus years and she's still learning this lesson uh you know she's not in a way she throws a a fit but she still has to learn the exact same lesson so uh you know i I thought that was interesting that in a way it helped humanize her because um we all go through the same thing you know we have to learn the, the same lesson again and again and again in these different facets of our lives so i thought that was really cool i definitely think the movie humanized her it does it does make it interesting again how it potentially uh jibes with you know the diana that supposedly was basically basically hiding locking herself off from the world you know and be you know up up until bvs and things like that too so there's a little contrast in and maybe how you get from point a to point b not that the dceu seems to care much these days about making sure things flow in any kind of connective fashion anyway it's like these things can just exist uh kind of like their comic books too to a certain extent these days uh, you have a continuity and i have a continuity everybody has a continuity i i like 
I like the sequence. I don't, again, I don't, I go back and forth whether I think it was as, we needed as much of it just to get the point across at the end of, I mean, I guess it's a double whammy because she has to, she, she has to learn basically to, uh, cause you can apply the whole Steve Trevor thing too, because basically that is kind of a lie. Steve's not really there and he's really, and he didn't come back, you know, and he, and he was brought back unnaturally. So you can make a case that's kind of almost like being brought back in a lie too, but just to deliver that line to, you know, towards the end with Max and everything that, you know, to get to, you know, to making it clear that, you know, basically nothing great's ever born from a lie and you can't really, I liked, I, I, I go back and forth on it. I, I, it was nicely shot and it looks really nice. And I, yeah, so, and, and you had to pr- figure out to, to get, to revisit paradise Island uh, somehow. So I guess that, that, that made sense obviously. And then, and then of course the, the Linda Carter cameo at the end. <laughs> For sure. Which is good because obviously they're setting her up if they're at the you know to actually have a role potentially in a, in a future Wonder Woman movie, not just have a oh look it's it's Linda Carter in the crowd, <laughs> you know. So I I think that's it's kind of cool when they give somebody a you know a a worthy you know a part like that. I think that I think that's nice when they can work something like that in. Makes sense to me. All right, man. Do we have anything else? No, I think that's I think that's it tonight in our in our Zoom episode is. Well, we'll see how it sounds. If it, obviously, if it sounds good, we're, 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 we're always willing to do Zoom, but we've been had pretty good luck back with uh, Skype lately, other than the fact that I can't access my Skype account currently. <laughs> and, and today's fiasco, so one way or the other, I mean, obviously, that can be worked around by just getting another Skype account if need be. But nonetheless, uh, for I think I went pretty smooth for a Zoom episode, and since we haven't used this platform in like, like a couple of months at least. All right. Sounds good. Well, you want to tell people what the next episode is or. Oh yes. The next, first I was going to say what? And it's like, yes, our next episode will, it is it, like insert joke here. It's going to be our 2021 movie preview episode, which essentially will be right. 90% of our 2020 episode <laughs> movie preview with a few new things that are just exclusively coming out this year. As of now, uh, we will not be talking heavily about any release dates in particular, since we all know things are subject to change. And I believe just tonight, what Morbius did, did more. I believe Morbius moved back to October. That is correct. So uh, a lot of things are going to be a lot of the things on the on the shuffling of the deck chairs and the Titanic are going to occur probably at least through the first six months of this year's release schedule. So everything we talk about will be movies that will be ske- or that as of the time we record will still be scheduled to release in 2021 and that's all we can do so uh it'll be heavy heavily populated with stuff we 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 wanted to see last year but obviously there was other movies that were always going to be 2021 you know like spider you know like uh spider-man 3 whatever the hell they're going to call it and things like that that was never supposed to be a 2020 release so it'll be a it'll be an interesting mix so i i have to go through and make and double check my make readjust my list based on what i had last year and based on what stuff that I know is coming out this year that's new. So it should be, it should be fun. It should be, it's always a fun episode. We always look forward to it. So that's, that will be the, that will be the next one. And uh, I may or may not have something to talk about next time. At the very least, I'll mention that this is happening Uh, on Friday, this coming Friday, January 15th. I've been talking about this over on Twitter. So uh, Mark, are you familiar with these things called talent talk? Not Not specifically. No. So basically, uh, they have experts in specific fields uh, come on, and you kind of reserve a digital seat to attend these talks. Almost like a personal panel with a much smaller audience where you get to be one of the Q&A members. 
uh, well, the Hero Initiative is sponsoring uh, uh, one of these talent talks, and the purchase of a ticket is going towards the Hero Initiative, which helps creators uh, who have fallen on hard times and no longer get work or royalties and so on and so forth uh, and need some little extra help with medical bills or you know repairs to the house or vehicles and so on and so forth. Well, um, Talent Talk and Hero Initiative are having on Dan DiDio, and there were 10 seats available, and now there are only seven left. I am one of the 10, uh, uh, assuming that if all 10 sell up by January 15th. And the idea is, uh, just to read from the website, your purchase of this talk gets you access to a private 55-minute Q&A session with longtime comic writer, editor, historian, and animation executive Dan DiDio. Only 10 people will be part of this exclusive session. I am one of the people in there. Uh, so I will be attending that um you know, hour long uh, Q&A session privately with Dan Tadillo. And maybe I'll be able to I'll definitely be able to ask him stuff. I am asking the Hero Initiative if it's OK to report back on what some of the answers are. So depending on what the Hero Initiative responds to me with and tells me if it's OK or not, I may or may not have stuff to talk about based on the questions I ask him. So um, uh, at the very least, I don't I don't know when this episode is going to come out. I doubt, you know, you know, if, if it comes out before Friday and you guys have the money to spend on it, go ahead. Uh, again, it, all the proceeds go to the Hero Initiative, which is a wonderful cause. But if not, um, you know, just keep your eye out for Talent Talk because I'm. it's not the first one that Hero Initiative has done. Uh, I'm looking if I click on the main Talent Talk link, not just the Dan DiDio one, I can see. Uh, Mark Wade has been a part of this. Howard Chaikin, Ron Mars, um, and so on and so forth. I'm just trying to see if there's any other names I recognize immediately on this main page. But no, Mark Wade, uh, Howard Chaikin, Ron Mars, uh, and now Dan DiDio. So, you know, uh, this is always something really cool to experience. So keep your eyes out for that. And, of course, it's always good to just follow the Hero, Initi- Hero Initiative on their various platforms as well because they have other ways in which they do some great fundraising ideas and things like that. So Chad's first question will be, Dan, you ignorant slut. <laughs> Click. Oh, I blew it. Um, this ep- well, this episode should come out by Friday, especially now that we the the wonderful world of Zoom editing or editing the Zoom means that we since we it's only one track, it's going to make the process a lot faster. Whether it makes the recording better, <laughs> it's another story. But we know it'll be faster since we won't have to worry about adding silence to the individual track. So today's Monday. I think my goal, yeah, I don't. My goal will be to get this out Friday at the latest. Um, so just yeah. just saying. Uh, all right. So lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, the website is lanterncast.com can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast, to track us down on either of those. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, whichever platform or platforms you listen to us on, please leave a positive review. And last but not least, once again, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or a text, 708 Lantern, 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys, we will see you next week for our uh, Mark and Chad Go to the Movies annual episode. Good night, everybody. Good night.